practices. I've seen one before, many, many years ago. It belonged to a man I met in Harpoon and Bertrand. A man possessed of some radical notions. Hello, and welcome to the Cinema Gadfly podcast. I'm your host, Arik Devins. And uh, this is a podcast dedicated to forcing my friends to watch movies that otherwise they wouldn't want to watch and getting them to talk with me about them. Uh, That's the stick. The carrot I use is that I then let them pick whatever movie they want me to watch in return. And this week is one of those episodes. So we have, uh, once again, my friend and coworker, Jake Desaulnier. And Jake, what movie did you choose for me to watch? Uh, So I chose for you to watch um, Inception. Uh, which is, uh, I guess, five years old now. Um, Christopher Nolan film. Uh, big budget blockbuster movie. High contrast from last our last uh, choice. Yes. Yes, very different from last week's. Uh, although Richard Burton was a pretty big star at the time that uh, Spy Who Came In From The Cold was made. But um, why did you choose this film for me to watch? Um, I chose this film... M- not because it's a particular like top favorite in any specific way, but just it captures a lot of what I like about going out to the movies. Um, it really sort of pulls on my sort of nostalgia strings or heartstrings or what have you um, with just as a kid loving the movies and and just racing home and wanting to like play act the characters when I got home for like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And a lot of that was that I could play the music, uh, f- the score for those movies at home and kind of re-enjoy the movie, even though I couldn't get back to the theater. And so I've always sort of had a love for movies who had a uh, a score that allowed me to re-enjoy the movie um, without the visual experience, just through the music. And that was sort of reinforced in high school because I was a marching band and symphonic band nerd who had an excellent teacher who taught us to think about the music we learned to play there in terms of books or movies and in terms of storytelling. So I picked a movie, while maybe not particularly a f- absolute top favorite, that captured a lot of that sort of emotional uh, feeling that I have towards listening to movies, soundtracks after I've left the theater and having them get me excited to rewatch a movie or just think about what happened in the movie. Wow. Okay. So now I feel really bad for everything that I am about to say about this movie. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> uh, so but before we jump into to all of that, I wanted to say that I knew nothing really about this film going in. Somehow I managed to avoid pretty much all the hype back in, in what was it? 2011, something like that when it came out. And, Immediately, what I was struck by was that this is at its core. This is a heist movie. Yeah, this is. I, th- I think. I think this is like it's like Ocean's Eleven with complicated dreams, right? Yes. It's 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 like almost a, a like a pitch perfect genre heist movie. Like they you know get the gang together and there's a job they got to do and there's an early you know foiled attempt and and everything goes wrong. And I mean, it's almost all of the major beats of a of a heist movie and i'm a sucker for heist movies i love heist movies too uh you know uh, everything from oceans 11 as i said all the way to jules das and rafifi and and 
the Jean-Pierre Melville films and everything in between. I love heist films. So on that level, uh, I enjoyed the film. Um, that part of it made me happy as I realized that. I think, you know, I, I watched the film, and, I, and I'll get back to your thoughts in a moment, but I, I watched the film, and while I was watching it, I sort of, I thought it was okay, you know? I was, I, I wasn't, I didn't think it was horrible. I didn't think it was great. Um, I, I'm not perhaps the biggest Christopher Nolan fan in the world. I tend to find his movies a little long without a huge cause for them to be quite so long. But, but while I was watching it, I, I, I wasn't horribly angry at the movie or anything like that. But, you know, when it ended and I sat there and, and, and began to sort of process it and think about it, I grew more and more unhappy with it. Uh, as I as I thought about what it was trying to say or do or mean or or whatever, so you know, in the like hour or two after it, it dropped many floors in my in my estimation. Well, I mean, I I obviously have to admit that I did know you were predisposed to not being a particularly big Nolan fan, and there was a little bit of a curiosity factor because uh, I thought maybe you were limited to the Batman series that he did, and I was just. Uh, bringing something else from him in to, to sort of test the waters. But yeah, I, I had an inkling of an idea that I might have an uphill uh, battle in, in uh, winning you over with this one. No, I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that you chose it. And, and, and to give me that perspective on Nolan is good because I think you might be right. I think I may have only seen the Batman movies, which are, you know, they're fine, whatever. But, you know, maybe we can get into some of my specific concerns and maybe you have a different perspective on them and, and, and maybe I'll come out of this, you know, feeling differently than I do right now. I think that my my primary issue with this film is that uh, I, I'm I'm a film lover, right? And, but I'm not just a and you know I have a podcast where I make people watch films that are in some way fancy or whatever. But I I honestly like film and I like all kinds of movies. You know I I, I don't mind dumb movies, right? You and I saw uh, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation together, and I, I loved it. I what I what I like is I like I like dumb movies and I like smart movies, but I don't like dumb movies that are pretending to be smart in order to make you feel better about watching them. And that's how I felt about this movie. It's also how I felt about uh, Darren Aronofsky's pie. Like it's, it's uh, you know, some movies want to entertain you as you're sleeping and some movies want to wake you up and some movies want to make you feel really cool about the fact that you're sleeping. And I feel like this, this movie was, was in that camp. Like it seems as though it's smart, but if you actually think about it, there's really very little to it. It's pretty easily puncturable. And there are so many uh, plot holes that are easily picked apart. And, and it just, it just, it, it wanted to be about something, but it really, it didn't, wasn't really about anything. So I, I don't know. Maybe you could start with that. I mean, I won't totally disagree with you. I mean, there's definitely plot holes, and there are things where it's, it's, you know, I think Pi is a good example of movies that are really trying to make you feel like maybe you're just not smart enough to have caught everything the director was trying to do. And I think maybe Nolan suffers from a little bit of that. But I, the sort of the themes that I took away from this movie, you know, kind of resonate with me, not necessarily in the direct relation to the movie, but just in my personal life, you know, just the sort of loss and reconciliation and, and some of those themes that they tried to introduce with different characters. Um, 
does resonate to me. And and again, I think Hans Zimmer did a really good job with the score. So when I listen to the music, and I can feel like those emotions being expressed through the music, I can sort of gloss over some of what I may have found lacking in the movie, and just sort of make it more grandiose in my mind, or just really just almost as if it was a silent film in terms of uh, dialogue and just sort of watch the visuals play out and listen to the music. And it just becomes like a beautiful picture to watch with this great music as if you were uh, at a symphony with a just projection behind it that tried to uh, like the movie was there to serve the music almost. And a lot of these movies that I really like that are sort of these blockbuster um, ones resonate with me all for the same reason is like I feel connected to the emotions and the music and I let some of the plot and the dialogue wash over me and just really get caught up in the cinematography and uh, that kind of stuff Ah, so that's interesting there are two pieces to what you just said and one of them is definitely very uh thought-provoking for me because I have to be honest with you I didn't notice particularly the soundtrack which I think is probably more common for me than it is for you I'm not sure that I I I didn't know you had such an intense relationship with movie soundtracks and I'm not sure that I could say the same thing there are certainly films I think where the soundtrack is a huge character in the film for me Uh, one in particular that comes to mind is Sweet Smell of Success which is an old Tony Curtis, uh, Burt Lancaster film that just has the jazziest, awesomest score. I, I actually went and and got it and listened to it. Or the the Three Colors trilogy by Krzysztof Kieślowski. Uh, that's the soundtrack to that. All three of those is absolutely brilliant and really kind of makes those films. I didn't. I guess I didn't connect with this soundtrack as much as you did. And now I'm I'm actually. That's probably the only thing you could have said that kind of makes me want to watch the film again because I didn't notice that. <laughs> I didn't notice that at all. And now I'm like really curious about what it was that I, that I missed. On the other point that you made about the cinematography, uh, I have to say I don't know that I completely agree with you there. I thought this movie was was very inventive in the sense that some of the effects were pretty interesting, but it, I didn't find it beautiful. I actually remember thinking as I was watching it, this is not a beautifully shot movie, but it is sort of interesting, right? Like the the shot with the the mirror which is, you know, n- not new, but when there's, you know, they're looking and they have mirrors on both sides and it goes into infinity, not a particularly new idea, but m- went well with what they were trying to achieve or that I think the probably the most well-known craziness is when the city kind of folds up on itself at some point in the film. Yes. And those were interesting. And certainly one of the thoughts I had while watching this movie, and I, this might have upset some people, uh, is that there's a horrifically bad Zack Snyder movie called Sucker Punch that I absolutely hated it's one of the very few movies in the last many years that i legitimately hated and was angry about when i finished watching it and i am as much as i hate Zack snyder's films right like i am really not a Zack snyder fan and to me i think i have it somewhere in my notes that this is a high rent sucker punch that nolan is a high rent snyder which is probably going a little far but it's actually interesting because this film does mirror a lot of my issues with Sucker Punch in terms of the sort of, uh, and hopefully no one's seen that movie because really it is truly terrible, but the they both movies have a lot of worlds within worlds within worlds, and they're both 
in in that sense very visually arresting and Snyder is of course known for being like a visual director and I think he cares far more about the visuals than he does about anything else and it's very apparent in his films but you know I feel like with the Batman movies aren't just about pretty visuals or anything like that they're maybe a little more to them than that and this film just I, again I thought it was inventively shot but not beautifully shot yeah and I, I would not classify myself as somebody who could probably distinguish the difference between what a body of experts would say is beautifully shot versus not. I've not seen Sucker Punch. I watched the trailer and decided to pass. You made the right choice. <laughs> I can't comment on the connections there. Um, I just sort of, I look at the, like the scene in the hallway um, with, um, I forget his name, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I forget his character. But, and then there's that sort of fight scene uh, with the loss of gravity. And I just thought that was, a really fun set piece. It, it was just sort of really fun to watch. And I enjoy looking sort of the behind the scenes stuff. And that was really fun to see how they built that, how full size it was, how it rotated, how they just worked all that out technically, that kind of thing interested me. So watching a lot of the behind the scenes stuffs helped me sort of appreciate what the actors were having to do to get through some of these set pieces. Um, and that gives me appreciation and again, like there are definitely things about the movie that I thought tried to be smarter than it needed to be, but because it is just a heist movie at its core. But again, I just go back to the music and sort of think of it as a great music video, <laughs> almost. It's it sounds crazy, but I mean that I really do uh, that quite a bit with a lot of movies. Um, another um, Darren Aronofsky movie, um, The Fountain, which I had deliberated making you watch um, was another one where I was going to choose actually all the movies that I was shortlisted for you to watch came from which soundtracks do I continuously go back to and listen to whether it's like on the ride to work or sitting at work getting things done um, a lot of times I'll read a book and put on a soundtrack from a movie that I feel has the same um, pace and enjoy a book uh, to a soundtrack so it's just a really a lot of movies is about the music to me is what it ultimately comes down to even when I don't like a movie like Prometheus I enjoy the soundtrack so I use it to read books that are similarly themed space related type things so yeah I mean that's it, it was just in the the themes I thought were just interesting for me to think about um, and just like I said, the guilt, the loss, dealing with your actions, they were there. They're played up, you know, with the gimmicks of diving into all the worlds. Um, but there's some sort of core elements there that I do like to turn over in my head. And when I listen to the music, I can turn those over in my own way and come out with something new. And then I go back into the movie and watch it again, uh, as I often do, and really just sort of sort of soak up what I've created to go along with it. Let's talk about those themes that you mentioned. So you actually did pick out far more interesting themes to talk about than I've seen in most of the commentary that I, I looked at after I watched the movie, you know, which, which is cool actually to me because most of the people that I read talking about the film were talking about the really, really stupid 
interpretations of the dream world logic, all of which I found to be just completely pointless. Like I do not, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil anything about the ending, but I do not care about the ambiguity of the ending. I think no matter which direction it goes in, it changes exactly nothing in the meaning of the film. And I, I, I really didn't enjoy like the, all the stake raising and, and additional rules that kept being introduced and all this stuff. It felt like it was really, again, intended to just be a heist movie that, and then they were throwing all this extra stuff on there so that, you know, because the, Christopher Nolan is in some sense uh, one of the few remaining sort of auteur type directors we have, right? Like he has a lot of control over his films and I think he he seems to believe that he has some sort of importance or uh or or uh message to his films or that he's doing something you know meaning something and 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 I haven't I haven't found that in the films of his that I've seen, but the themes that you mentioned more about the relationship between a father and a son or the relationship between a, a husband and a wife, which were couched in this film in pretty ridiculous nonsense. And one of those two I thought was a little, maybe a lot predictable and a little uh, pop psycho psychology 101. But the other one, the 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 grief and the loss uh, and the, the sort of, husband-wife relationship that that did have some legs actually and and you bringing that up is is kind of making me think about it and and it's nice because that's something that's maybe a little more interesting about that film than some of the other stuff that i i've been thinking about about it yeah and i i thought you know again a lot of the sort of pop psychology like you say um but just the idea of of the characters dealing with their guilt for their actions or what they feel they're responsible for or what they wish they had some control over that they may not have. Um, I think it's interesting um, just in terms of no matter how it plays out on screen, it gets me thinking about it um, in relation to, you know, events that I've gone through in my past, which I appreciate is just a movie. While I'm not thinking hard about the movie itself when I leave, I think about um, dealing with loss or family relationships, or anything like that. And that makes me feel like I've spent some time, as as dumb as it sounds for a summer blockbuster heist movie to make me think these things, um, I've, I've actually spent a little bit of time thinking about do I have any of these um, same thoughts or any same weights on my shoulders? Um, and even if it was just supposed to be like a director whose ambition is outstripped by his actual abilities uh there are things that i can take away uh always trying to look for the best in it or you know maybe i'm trying to justify some of the things to myself where i like something more than maybe i should if i analyze the actual script on paper or scene by scene breakdown and realize some of the ridiculousness there um I just tend to give a benefit of the doubt, even to the dumbest of movies, that good intention should go to some distance. And if you've captured my imagination on a specific topic, that I will turn it over my brain, regardless of how good you execute it on it. Um, and that's just one of those things that I think has um, hooked me about this movie, uh, even though I wouldn't classify it as like my top 10 or anything like that. They're just... The, the relationships uh, are interesting. 
and uh, I'll just go back to music again. The way that the score syncs up with some of that really um, resonates with me when I want to think about it offline from everything else. Um, I think it's funny that you didn't notice it because I feel like the score is one of those things that people made quite a lot of fun of um, after it came out because it had that just ginormous low brass section that just like made this huge noise anytime they tried to do something major like fold the city in half um and you know just knowing how Hans Zimmer put together that sound and like having a musical background uh through high school and college like I kind of geek out over some of that stuff so the technical aspects behind how some of the sets were created how the actors had to execute what they were asked to do and then how the music tied back to that um, really sucks me in. Um, and then you mentioned something about like reconciling relationships within families or dealing with guilt. Um, those have some personal resonance to me. So again, you just add that on top of a what's supposed to be a, a silly heist movie that's just over the top. And there's enough to keep me wanting to come back and uh, maybe not watch the whole movie over and over again for the end of time, but I'll enjoy finding a clip on YouTube of a specific scene or or picking out one particular track from the soundtrack and going through it while I'm trying to do something else uh, at work or something, you know, mundane like that. So that all makes a, a ton of sense to me. And one of the things that I think is really true about film, especially for me, is that when you see a film and what mood you're in and what's going on in your life and what thoughts you're having anyway is so hugely important to how you perceive a film. So there are films that I have enjoyed a lot less that I've talked about on my, on my blog. And I do intend to go back and watch them all again at some point because I just, I strongly believe that it, it is entirely possible that it's just, the moment in time that I watched them. And I'm not saying that if I watched Inception again, I would, you know, suddenly be like, oh my God, none of the things I cared about before matter. But for example, there's a movie in the Criterion Collection that a lot of the sort of hardcore cinephiles in the community are not big fans of. It's a movie called The Big Chill by Lawrence Kasdan, who famously wrote uh, at least Empire Strikes Back, maybe Return of the Jedi as well. At any rate, it's a film that is, by those cinephiles, routinely regarded as one of the least impressive films in the collection. And it it floored me when I watched it. It practically brought me to tears because the premise of the movie, about which is about um, a group of friends coming together uh, after the loss of one of their mutual friends and realizing how much their friendships had changed but stayed the same and and you know, how they've grown up and how they feel about the things they thought they were going to do when they were younger and stuff. It just resonated so strongly with me because I'm a person who lives in a city where all of my closest friends also used to live and now they're mostly all gone. And so for me, I could just unbelievably strongly relate to that particular film at the moment I saw it. And it just, I love that movie. I I love it. I watched it again with my mom. I, I love that movie. And it's entirely possible that had I seen Inception at a time when I was dealing with that kind of grief or that kind of 
uh, remorse or, or complicated relationships in general, that maybe those would have been the elements I would have focused on instead of the many, many, many plot holes in the movie or my issues with the stupidity of its logic and the attempts it was trying to make to seem smart and things like that. Maybe I would have just completely, you know, not, not noticed that, but just not cared about that in the same way that I don't care about the supposed cheesiness of the big chill or the obviousness in retrospect of its soundtrack or whatever it is, because just the, the emotions and the, and the movement of the movie just, just hit me so hard. So I totally respect that. I think that that makes a ton of sense. And especially when you throw on top of that, this, this soundtrack thing that I really did not know about you. We talk about movies a lot. I had no idea. That's super interesting. Yeah. I, I would, I would say most of the time, uh, my first go-to for I'm in the mood mood for music probably is um, something without lyrics, possibly something symphonic. Um, I just think music came to me at a very uh, clutch time in my life, and I've just always latched onto it as a great way to sort of work through emotions or process them or... Um, really just sort of lose yourself in them, whether they're happy or sad. Um, and so I've just found like everything seems to resonate me with me in terms of scores for movies from, you know, the John Williams type of stuff to uh, one of my favorites is uh, Clint Mansell, who's done um, work on uh, a bunch of movies. The one that comes to mind first is Moon, which is a another movie I like, um, and it's just got a great, great soundtrack that I just, I can feel relaxed when I listen to it, and I play the movie back in my head. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a big part of movies to me is the music. A film like that for me is uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey, which I, it's an obvious choice, but uh, I recently got a chance to see a restored edition at the Castro Theater in, here in San Francisco, and the I have that I have that on vinyl. I have that soundtrack, and I love it, and. To hear it coming out of those all around me in the speakers was just so unbelievably wonderful. It just sounded amazing. It was a mind-blowing experience. So I, I could, I totally understand that. I, I don't know. I, I definitely don't feel as strongly about it as you do, but I, I'm not totally disconnected from it either. I might actually, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I might actually watch this movie again or put on the soundtrack or something just to see what you're talking about because I just did not resonate with me at all that's so crazy how different people can react to things you know so differently i mean obviously different people is right there but so differently it's it's kind of amazing don't you think oh i, th I think it's super fascinating and it was one of the things that i enjoyed about um your choice for me of uh, the spy who came in from the cold is it's such a sparse soundtrack from a different period in uh, movie history so what an original score meant then it was totally different, but it served the movie well. And I found myself, you know, listening to the pauses when there was no music and then just sort of the low background, you know, atmospheric uh, score. Um, I mean, that had an impact on me as well. It's not one I could go back and listen to outside of the movie and have the same impact that this does. Um, but there's definitely a, a time and a place for both types of score, um, just like, uh, what's the name? 
the guy, uh, Wes Anderson, he's got a completely different take on what a soundtrack for a movie should be. And that has a totally different mood that comes along with it when you listen back to that, um, almost like it's a playlist of of somebody's mind. Um, and, and that puts me in a whole different place. So there's there's just so many different types of movies that allow me to explore different types of music and take me through the movie in different ways so that with my limited time for watching movies, I can actually enjoy the music and put myself back through movies um, with themes that I enjoyed or that made me feel specific emotions um, at the time that I saw them or or resonated me with some personal aspect of my life when I saw them. Um, There would be no point in time when I hear themes from Indiana Jones where I don't want to just like run outside and play around and pretend that I'm a kid again because grab a whip and start whipping things. Yeah. You're just like, I'm going to go out and do all those things. It'll be great. Totally. And I completely agree about, about Wes Anderson as well. I, those are movies that I listen to the soundtracks from as well. And I, it instantly transports me back into the reality of, of those films and and his films are are also I mean I'm a huge huge fan I know people go different ways on that but I am a massive Wes Anderson fan and those those films soundtracks and and the songs especially take me immediately back to the mood of the particular film that they came from and uh, even the short film Hotel Chevalier which plays before Darjeeling Limited the Peter Starstead song I think that's his last name uh, the plays that um, the character played by uh, Jason Schwartzman is playing the entire time that Natalie Portman shows up is I listen to that song all the time. Where, where do you go to my lovely? It, it's such an amazing song that I never heard before I saw that short. And every time I, I listen to it, I get kind of melancholy in a good way and think back to the, to that movie and, and all the feelings it brings up and stuff like that. I, that is very powerful to me. Wes Anderson's a great example of that. Oh yeah. He's, he's a very singular uh, vision and his execution, you know, visually and musically are just fantastic. That's it's a different type of score, like I said, but it's a huge amount of appreciation for the way that you describe it. it just it takes you back. There's there's no way for it not to. Um and there, there's there's always songs like that. There's one in in uh, Inception um and I've forgotten the name because I didn't take a note on it, but it's the French song that they play sort of slightly hauntingly in the background a few times um, when uh, the character Maul is on screen. Um, And for whatever reason, that instantly triggers uh, memories of Tom Hanks and Matt Damon in the World War II scene where they're stuck um, saving Private Ryan. Uh, They're they're in that village and somebody's playing, playing that similar type of music in the background while things are being bombed out. And there's just sort of this like haunting thing that goes on, like the emotions the characters are going through. And for whatever reason, that same type of feeling sort of shows up in this movie. And it's probably just a cheap way of using, (laughs) reusing a song that's very famous that has emotions sort of already built into it to greaten the impact of a scene that may have not, uh, had it there on its own. Um, but 
whatever the trick is. It worked for me because it tied it back to another movie with other similar music, or at least in my memory, it's similar. It could be totally different, but. Okay, you've convinced me. I will absolutely be listening to the soundtrack from this. And I'm actually kind of curious to see if the soundtrack, with all of its brilliance that you're claiming, is actually embedded somewhere in my brain and I just don't know it yet. And that when I listen to it, I'll actually find myself kind of transported back into something. Who knows what? Because as I said, I didn't particularly enjoy the movie. But perhaps, you know, perhaps that'll be something that I can I can enjoy and and it'll be really interesting to me to see what, emotions and thoughts and stuff that 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 brings up for me so i thank you very much i i have to be honest with you i did not see this being the direction this was going to go for the listeners out there i don't i try really hard not to discuss the films with the person who watched them with me before we do the podcast so that we can have sort of an open discussion that hasn't been biased by people's opinions either way and uh, we don't share notes or anything like that you know we just kind of do this on our own and we come together and talk and I had no idea where you were going to take this one, Jake. And it's far more interesting to me than uh, a discussion about just, you know, the pros or cons of the of the story of this film. So I, I just want to say thank you, first of all, for that. This was definitely a very positive experience for me, even though definitely not one of my favorite films. Uh, so uh, thank you. Oh, not a problem. I kind of purposely picked a film that actually doesn't even qualify as my favorite film or my favorite soundtrack just because I figured it would generate good conversation because it sort of lives in that gray area where my memories of what I saw on screen and what I hear in my head um, sort of probably give it more substance than it would have if I didn't have that attention to the music or that connection to it. Um, So I just thought it was sort of a, a nice mix of sort of testing the waters and on a different Nolan film that you hadn't seen um, with a very uh, over-the-top, a little bit bombastic um, score, um, but then had some interesting um, themes like we've talked about that resonate with me. And I guess at that particular time when I first saw it, uh, the combination really sort of stuck with me that allowed me to continue to come back to it, um, even though I haven't gone and tried to choose like my absolute favorite movie um but then we may just be possibly talking about goonies for an hour i don't know (laughs) that that could be good that could be really good you know that's a whole different show (laughs) no you should come back we'll talk about goonies I, i think i have things to say about goonies um awesome well you know thank you so much for doing this uh, I really, really appreciate it. Um, it's It's been wonderful, and we'll definitely have to have you back at some point. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners, remind them where they can find you on the on the internet and such? Sure. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Desaunier, D-E-S-A-U-L-N-I-E-R-S. Hopefully I'm not just being angry about something that's wrong at work with software. Uh, I try to be all over the place, so hopefully I'm interesting, but... I can't promise anything. <laughs> none of none of us can. Uh, and listeners can find me at Cinema Gadfly, uh, and of course my blog, where I am watching my way through the entire Criterion Collection and posting thoughts, is at cinemagadfly.com. Uh, hopefully, everyone enjoyed this episode, and we'll come back uh, at some point in the future for the next episode, where we'll have a new guest uh, and once again a Criterion film for them to watch. 
So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and have a great night or day, depending on what time it is when you listen to this. And, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll see you all soon. All right. Goodbye. You're waiting for a train. A train that will take you far away. You know where you hope this train will take you. But you don't know for sure. But it doesn't matter. How can it not matter to you where that train will take you? Oh man, Inception. That's where Christopher Nolan rips off Exhibit and puts a dream in a dream because I heard you like dream. Like it's some high budget episode of Pin My Ride. Man, I love that show. Whatever happened to Exhibit anyway? I know he did that Triple X sequel with Ice Cube, but since then, man, I gotta go look this up. Peace.